Are you ready to up-level your performance, become a better sales coach, and grow revenue? Are you ready to be ready? Then ready, set, sell. I'm Hannah, a B2B sales enthusiast and sales consultant, advocating for sales to be a little more human. And I'm Tony from MindTickle, where I'm a sales leader and coach. And you're listening to Ready, Set, Sell, a podcast dedicated to helping revenue and sales professionals like you adopt a sales readiness approach to ensure your team is always ready to win. In each episode, we share smart insights, tangible advice, and actionable tips that can be applied directly to the work you do every day to drive organizational growth. Let's dive into the episode. When it comes to the success of any modern sales team, effective sales operations tactics can play a critical role. I have to agree, Tony. Um, By addressing common gaps and bottlenecks, the entire process can be made more efficient, which will in turn pave the way for improved outcomes. Absolutely. And our guest today is someone who can speak to all of this and more. Ana Luisa Fisher-Jeffs is the sales operations manager at Unilee, a global SaaS company that provides an employee experience platform to its customers. And she recently moved to the UK from South Africa, where she spent most of her career in management consulting and sales management. And Ana Luisa definitely wins the prize for most names on our podcast, but she's here with us today to discuss key strategies for making the sales process more efficient. She'll also explain how sales team leaders need to look at the data to determine where the team can make tangible improvements. Oh, and we're also going to touch on scalability, the modern sales tech stack, and forecasting, which we all know is extremely important. So get ready for a great episode. Hi, Anna. Really happy to have you on the podcast today. How are you feeling? Good. Good, thanks. Amazing, amazing. So I, I'm really interested in this discussion. I know we were saying a little bit beforehand, but um, sales operations, we don't often get the, uh, the sales operations folk to the front of the front of the line to have conversations around sales enablement and really where the sales industry is moving to. So I see education, I see management consulting, I see sales, and then I see operations. And I'm like, I need to know more about this career that you've had so far. So please, can you let us know and all of, also our listeners what you've been up to? Great. Um, I started my career with a few false starts before finding my way to management consulting, where over a number of years, I gained a lot of experience in data management, problem solving, and strategic thinking. And when the time came on to move on, someone in my network recommended me for an ed tech company as head of sales. I was a bit skeptical initially, as I'd not had a classic selling experience before. Essentially, actually, a sales operations and strategy role. So so I took that up, and that was great. And from there, I moved on to a fintech business as the sales operations manager before relocating to the UK. You can hear from my accent. I'm from South Africa. So now I'm the sales operations manager for Unily, which is a global SaaS business that provides an employee experience platform to enterprise businesses. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, I actually, I like it when someone comes from a different perspective into a role, right? Because you don't need to have that traditional experience in order to bring value to a specific uh, task or, or a role. So that's, uh, that's always interesting to me. But uh you know, so, Anna, sometimes the individuals and leaders of sales teams, you know, they believe their problem is something specific, right? It might be training or team management when, in fact, it's really something completely different. So do you have an example of perhaps where the data showed the problem to be something else other than what was believed by the team and by uh, the leadership? Good question. 
when I was working for the edtech company, which I transitioned to from management consulting, the leadership wanted to understand why sales were slowing down dramatically. They'd had a really good start to the you know first couple of years, and suddenly they were slowing. But the total addressable market still seemed to be far bigger than what we or even the competitors that we had had captured. So given the fact that no clear leadership in the sales team had existed to this point, nor any insight-driven data analysis, it took a while to, to unwind the problem. We um, implemented a new sales process and methodology. We improved the CRM configuration and usage and started looking at data and improving reporting. We spoke to customers and tried to do a, a thorough investigation. Ultimately, while training and team management were required, I believe that the issue lay in the positioning of the product in the market, something the leadership were not keen to accept as I think they felt that undermined the value of the product. But when the company was merged with another one and the commercials were reworked, the market opened up. No, I really, I really enjoyed that share. Thank you for sharing that. Um, but as someone who's had a complete view of the sales funnel and the associated analytics at every step along the way, where do sales teams tend to have gaps or bottlenecks? and the most room for improvement? I think sellers tend to focus too quickly on the features of the product they are selling and spend too little time connecting and developing relationships with prospective customers. I think a lot of them know this in, you know, in theory, but in practice, um, they find that difficult. And I think it's particularly difficult because many prospective customers come to the first sales conversation already 80% through the buying process, which they've gotten to on their own um, through research and they're eager to move quickly, undermining the seller's attempts to build impactful relationships. Figuring this out, I, I guess, can make a big difference to the success of a seller. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you on that. I think that a lot of that comes down to comfort zone. It's really easy for me to talk about what I know, which is the product, the features, the functionality. It's harder for me to ask questions and then listen deep enough to respond to things that are completely unknown to me at the moment, right? So it's like, if I ask a question and the client says something or a prospect says something, it, it may be something I haven't planned for. I haven't heard this before. So how do I then talk about it? So it's much easier for me to just bounce back and say, oh yeah, that thing you mentioned, yeah, we have a products feature that allows you to do this. It's just like, that was so much easier and I've done my job and whew, okay, on to the next one, right? Rather than let me just listen and really start to paint a picture and, and have a, a two-way dialogue. Um, yeah, I think that's a great call out. I, as someone who's in the consulting space, I see that it's it's just something every single time, every single company, big, small, high growth, whatever it is, that is always something that comes up. Yeah, and, and tying to your your earlier response, you know, sometimes it's just the harshness of reality, right? Sometimes people don't really want to think it could be something until they're actually confronted with it, right? Like you said earlier, the... Uh, they didn't want to think it was that one specific thing that could be the issue, but then it was, which changed everything, right? So sometimes you have to be confronted by something. And sometimes it's, you know, it's the data, right? Sometimes it's the data itself that really makes that change. So, you know, when you think about it from an operations perspective, if a sales department, if they want to start making better use of their data, you know, they have more effective dashboards to get a better understanding of performance, where should they really start from an operations standpoint? They need to start with data quality. Using data is obviously extremely valuable, but only useful if the data is correct, which it often isn't before it's managed effectively. It's important to set standards for how the data can be used and to ensure that it's being done correctly. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you don't have good good uh, foundation to start with and good quality, then you're <laughs> you really have nowhere to go at that point. So it's a, it's always a, it's a great place to start. Yeah, it's fun trying to get salespeople and and surrounding uh, units to actually put the right data in the right fields. <laughs> it's a, yeah. I mean, fifteen years later, sales it's still the same thing. <laughs> but thinking about data and transitioning into like systems, like h- how does a team identify the right sales tech stack? For their team, because uh, you know we we see that that lovely graph and that uh, picture that comes out every year, where it's like one thousand pieces of tech, three thousand pieces of tech, five thousand pieces of tech that you could possibly touch on as, across a, a revenue org. How do you even begin to look at what's going to be right for your organization? Well, I think you can't just base it on what a previous organization has used or what you know other people are using. You really need to look at the needs of your team. And those needs can evolve over time. So generally doing a needs analysis first and then looking for solutions that will help you find the right solutions for your team is the best way to do it. And then to to probably do that regularly to sort of assess whether you still have the right sales stack. I was going to say that, you know, with that regularity, because people are, you've got, you know, companies want, it's not as hard to buy solutions, right? That's why we have customer success people in place. I want to keep things stickier because of the subscription model when the economy's changed over the last 10 years, thank you to Salesforce. But if we think about the fact that a lot of sales teams are being incentivized to create multi-year contracts, right? So it's like, you need to be signed up for two two years or three years. How do how how does that tally up to a team when we're trying to say, hey, review what you're using regularly? Like how, how regular is, is regular? That's difficult to say because I think as needs come up, you should consider, you know, I think you need to have a flexible approach where you're looking at things maybe annually, but also ad hoc, you know, in terms of, you know, a need might come up and you might need to look at something ad hoc. But I think certainly an annually an annual review would be important. Yeah, no, that's that's really good to hear because I'm just thinking they just thought that might be a question that comes up. Like, okay, so that sounds great and I get it, but like when and how often? You know, I appreciate that. I think it's fun with that. You could do it with your annual operational planning once a year, um, and just have a look at see, you know, how well suited your sales stack is to your needs. Yeah, and you mentioned something interesting about evolving over time, right? It seems like. Uh, People are evolving very quickly and organizations are evolving quickly. Actually, everything is. I, I feel like my kids evolve about every other week. So I'm always having to catch up in some way, right? But uh, it's always about being agile. And, you know, sometimes change can be tough for people. It's not the easiest thing to go through. So when you introduce a new process, how do you get buy-in from all the individuals? And, you know, how do you overcome any of that resistance that you might face? I think there are a number of things you need to do starting off with eliciting inputs from the team during design and incorporating these as much as possible, that really helps to create buy-in with the team. And then thorough training and support systems should be put put in place when rolled out. Uh, A common language for the change and weaving the change into as many facets of the job as possible to drive adoption. Um, A good example of this might be when awarding commission only doing so on deals recorded in the CRM that might help drive a new CRM adoption. Tony, I must say, Anna had to kiss a few frogs job-wise before she could find the right fit for her skill set. What are, I'd say, like a few key hints that a role is right for you, or wrong for you, of course? 
Well, that's a great question, Hannah. You know, I, I, I've been around the block a few times, as you know, and I've had all sorts of jobs in my day. From I started as a landscaper, I wore the stripes at Foot Locker selling sneakers before I eventually landed in software sales. And I've had, you know, my share of roles over the years as well. Um, I think for me, you know when you have the right fit, when you have a good rapport with the people that you're working with. Uh, it's always great to have a great product that you're selling, of course, but if you don't have a good match with the team that you're going to battle with, then it's it's never going to feel all that comfortable. So to me, that's when I know it's a really good fit, when not only do you feel passionate about the product and the company, but also about the team members that you're working with. Um, to me, that I think that's really what makes it a, a good fit and someplace that I want to be. Yeah, I have, I have two rules, Tony. Um, again, and so two rules, and it's, I think it's underpinned by some of what you're talking about. So like that culture and people piece. But if if, uh, if I go through a long stint of, of not earning or not learning, then it's not the right fit for me. I need to be, you know, if you think about particularly being in disruptive startup environments, where sometimes there may be slight, there may be a slight delay in, in the earning potential that you're hoping to, to achieve in that space. But at that time, at the same time, you're hoping that there's a way to learn. There's a way to learn because the way in which the company is approaching their go to market, because you're having lots of conversations, you're interacting with the, you know, your core, your, your key customer profiles. But that moment that you stop uh, um, learning, as well as you can't really see much career trajectory, it's it's a no for me. It just doesn't really make sense. So I feel like sometimes you get there's a there's a peak that that you hit, which means that. A, a company or an environment is no longer serving you and it's not always a bad thing i think sometimes we think of um of it being a wrong fit which does happen you kind of get in and i think you know in the first like 24 hours like what have i done <laughs> but like in general sometimes it's just people are you know they're here for a season companies are here for a season and that could be two years could be five years could be ten years but it's not always wrong it's just served you for what you needed to, to achieve in that time you know, Anna made a great point when she said sellers tend to focus too quickly on the features of the product they're selling and spend too little time connecting and developing relationships with prospective customers. I 100% agree. I think relationship development is a key piece of the puzzle when it comes to sales, if not the whole enchilada. <laughs> if sales professionals can learn to master this, they'll find it much easier to close deals and make a big impact within their organization. I totally agree. And I think when you have that relationship, you can establish a rapport with the customer that you come across in such a better way. And, you know, of course, it's much easier said than done. It can be difficult to scale back on seeing the praises of your product to focus on relationship building, especially when you're really passionate about your product and the value it can add to your customers' lives. Well, I mean, in that case, I think an important thing to remember is the value of really listening to your customers and taking the time to truly understand their needs desires and specific challenges. You know, Hannah, I know you're going to find this hard to believe because I'm a, a movie guy, but I was recently watching the HBO series Industry, and one of the lessons they taught new grads was to flip an hourglass upside down at the beginning of each sales call and only get into talking business once the hourglass had run out of sand. Now, in this hourglass, it was like 15 feet tall, so you can imagine that was really <laughs> tough to do. But you know, I think it's a great rule of thumb to remember. If you're hoping to build authentic relationships and get to know customers on a personal level to gain their trust, that's where you're going to find your most success. I mean, I love that, but I struggle. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, 
I'll definitely have to give that one a go next time I'm on a call. But let's get back to the interview. If I'm just thinking about the sales team, right, and, and then how um, we start to think about some of those high performers, or and sometimes they're lone wolves, right? They they get things done, they deliver, but they're not fantastic at following protocol. Um, if someone in the sales team is a high performer but doesn't follow the processes in place, how can that start to negatively affect the team or reporting? So besides setting a bad precedent, it can make forecasting and reporting difficult as the data around processes and selling won't be accurate or in place. Really, the rigor that you get from sales processes, sales methodology, yields the fruit of predictability. And if someone is not able to um, adhere to those, you really find it difficult to forecast and predict well, even if they end up closing lots of sales. Just the, the way in which salespeople tend to work is really what's driven, uh, particularly the, the lack of adherence to process is really what's driven a, a whole market of AI in sales. <laughs> it's, it's not just about delivering next best action. It's about what have you done and how do I automatically put that in the systems that it needs to be in so that I don't have to rely on you salesperson who's probably not going to do it to kind of to, to get that data in the right places. So um, it's a billion dollar market out there for those of you who are thinking about launching that as, a, <laughs> as your next desk platform. <laughs> And it's funny, the CRM is so central to everything, right? It, it almost begins, obviously, table stakes in any organization, but people take it for granted sometimes and how important it is for people to be able to get the right data out to make decisions. But, you know, as, as you look at, uh, you know, what you're doing right now at Unity and and, uh, and other roles, but, you know, what's one thing that you wish the sales team would, would maybe do better in regards to the things that they're doing with their CRM? I think I'm going to give a fairly boring answer here. I think ensuring their notes and insights are accurately recorded, as well as linking email to their profiles. Both of these help to quickly gain insight into an opportunity without the selling the seller having to explain it to you. Mandatory fields can help a lot, but do not ensure the quality of you know free text fields that can really add a lot of flavor to um, the insights that you can get from the CRM. Yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of salespeople, they want to do the bare minimum, right? But if you don't put this, it's garbage in, garbage out. If you don't put good data in, it's really hard to make the right decisions on, you know, product decisions, marketing decisions. So it's it's really crucial to get that data in there. At least, uh, you know, the, the places I've been, that's always been extremely important and something that we've always strived for. Yeah, I think what comes up a lot as well is um, when we are when we're building out these processes and we're trying to create mandatory fields or whatever it is inside CRMs, we, we, we don't always, as an industry, do a fantastic job of educating the salespeople on how they then operationalize that data themselves in the future to say, like, it, you know, this is what you'll be able to do with this data, not just like we need this for reporting or we need this for that. It's like this is what you will literally be able to do. Go back to your close or stills. Go back to, um, you know, opportunities that went stale without having to figure out what the hell's happened. Like, right, uh, be able to go on holiday, take annual leave and your your, your, your your reps, your friends can go and check your opportunities and manage them. Your manager can do half your job for you. All of these things that allow them to actually operate better. I don't know if we we socialize those things as much. And I think that's where a lot of the reluctance comes in as well. Um, so just thinking about that data and, and, and the role that leaders actually play here. Uh, how can sales managers create more reliable forecasts? I mean, this is a conversation that comes up all the time uh, with, with the clients that I even work with. And are there processes that can be used to make forecasts more accurate? Yeah, forecasting is 
always a bit tricky by its nature because it's essentially predicting the future and you cannot say for 100% certainty that any deal will close you know, until it does. However, I think the more rigor applied in the sales process and methodology, the better the predictability, which links back to that lone wolf question where it's so important to sort of apply the methodologies, apply the processes, because it helps with predictability. Um, there are different forecasting um, method, methods, such as using a weighted pipeline forecast, which uses the average um, probability based on pipeline coverage and conversion rates to predict sales. I think this is quite good uh, for quarters further into the future, where you know you still have quite a lot of you know variation in in deals. You're not sure how things will close. In the nearer term, I think uh, what's a better methodology is that sellers can forecast specific opportunities that they're confident about, excluding those that they are less confident about. And then using certain indicators such as engagement, which can be tracked nicely through some apps, such as reporting and conversational intelligent apps, insights can become more accurate. Yeah, I find it's it's funny as uh, as a sales leader, I, I you work with tons of different reps, and you're always trying to make sure you're getting the real data, right? And I, I, how many times have you worked with reps where? You know, it's in stage one, but it's going to close this quarter and the average sales cycle is about three to six months. Well, let's take a closer look at that because I don't know if that's really accurate at this point. So uh, it, it's always a challenge to try and get the, you know, the, the true data out of it. But uh, so I, I, this next question is one, it's a little bit, uh, it's near and dear to my heart because we've recently gone through some of this uh, this change. But, you know, one of the the signs of success is when a sales team grows. Right, you know, hey, we went from thirty reps to eighty reps within the last six months, or or whatever it might be. So, you know, what would you say are some of the challenges that you see when it uh, when a team really grows quickly in a scenario like that? Yeah, ramping very quickly leads to a team of new sellers that lack experience in your business. Um, it's without good coaching and onboarding programs, this can be a recipe for failure for many new hires, which can be demoralizing for the rest of the team. It's not impossible to do. It's, you know, if you have the right processes, coaching, onboarding, it can be enormously successful. And a lot of businesses have have done that right. It can be done very well, but it needs to be managed effectively um, in order to have success. Gosh, we, we know about ramping um, alignment as well, right? You, you can, even the structure of onboarding and, and how frequently that happens. Some companies will have, you know, we have one, uh, we have one a quarter and then you've got new people that go like, two and a half months or three months about that initial onboarding and training because of how like they're cycled into the year. So yeah, just even just the logistics of that are, are pretty, pretty important. How can sales teams ensure that the processes they're creating are scalable? When you think about these, these, these growth, that growth question that Tony was just going through. Yeah, a few things help. I think making processes clear and simple and um, repeatable, making sure you document them, automating where possible. And of course, building processes into the ways of working, which should be reinforced uh, wherever possible. Anna, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time here today, but we're not finished yet. We do our rapid fire questions at the end. So what we're going to do is uh, Hannah and I are going to go back and forth, ask you some questions very fast. So just top of mind, first answers that you can think of. So I'm going to start. So what would you say is your sales philosophy in just three words? Ask great questions. I love it. I love um, it. What's the best piece of advice you've been given in your career? 
You're going to drop balls. Be prepared and choose which ones to drop. Oh, I never heard that. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> what is your top productivity hack? Ah, that's an important one. I think uh, limit email notifications and try to avoid, uh, avoid task switching. Oh, I like that. That last, use that last bit. Oh, <laughs> I'm awful at that. Um, yeah. Okay, so the top three apps you couldn't live without. My banking app, <laughs> Salesforce, and Boost Up. So you trust the banking app. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, would you say are leaders made or born? Mostly made. And what book has inspired you the most in your career? From Impossible to Inevitable uh, by Aaron Ross and Jason Lemkin. Oh, all right. Before the next question, what is that about? That sounds a very interesting title. It's about uh, creating predictability in sales cycles um, and how to how to take something, you know, a, a, a sales process that is it's about, it's about how to scale businesses in a predictable manner. Mm. I love that. And this is what happens on these podcasts, because what I do is I add it to my Amazon basket and then it's just making it's, I'm spending a lot of money. Basically, Tony is what I'm saying. Spending a lot of money. <laughs> we don't get paid enough to uh, for all the books we have to buy from this uh, podcast that we do here. But um, our, our last question, and I'm a movie guy, so I always get to close this one out. But which which uh, which statement would you use? Sell me this pen, or always be closing. Uh, sell me this pen. Ah, excellent. Scorsese is at his finest. Love <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> Anna, thank you so much for today. I hope you had fun. We had a blast. This is you were a great guest, some great insightful answers. And uh, you know, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. What a good chat with Anna. Oh, that was fun. I love everything about data. So that 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 got me going, I'll be honest. Uh, but she made some really important points about relationship building during the sales process, the value of taking a flexible approach and forecasting methods. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I mean, I'm old school, so my notepad was overflowing with ideas from the conversation. And I can't really wait to put some of these methods into practice, especially in my day-to-day -day role. So, you know, Hannah, what stood out to you as particularly helpful advice from Anna? I think the emphasis on the value of conducting thorough training and onboarding from the get-go. Like, that's, that's a core part of some of the, the work that I do day to day in my role in supporting organizations as a consultant. So to hear it echoed from like the trenches is, it just makes me feel like I'm on the right path, right? But because we, we know without proper preparation, and you definitely know this, Tony, <laughs> you're essentially setting the team up for failure, which can be massively demoralizing for everyone. Absolutely. You always have to be prepared. And, you know, in the same vein, leaders really should be asking for feedback regularly from their teams to, you know, actually go that extra mile to incorporate it so they can encourage buy-in from the whole team and drive adoption. Because if you don't get that buy-in, you know, you're really just going to be spinning your wheels to get that, you know, that passion and really make people believe the things that they're getting behind. Exactly. And Anna also mentioned the value of conducting a regular needs analysis so you can determine which areas of focus need to be prioritized moving forward. I think there's a a pattern of doing a needs analysis right at the beginning of the, the time that you build out your learning programs and that's it and it's like okay but it's never reassessed so that frequency of needs analysis i love that she highlighted that absolutely i mean and that changes all the time right so you know the concepts of a needs analysis can be universally applied to customers 
prospects and teams. So it's really helpful tool to keep that in your toolbox. Agreed, Tony. Big thanks to Anna, though, for sharing all the nuggets of wisdom with us here on the Ready, Set, Sell podcast. And thanks to you all for listening. We really hope you've learned something that can be applied to your everyday life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ready, Set, Sell. We hope you took away some valuable lessons and insights that inspire you to reevaluate your approach to sales readiness. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show when you get a minute. And stay tuned for the next episode of Ready, Set, Sell.